Alright, well let's pray this morning as we come before God's word. Alright, Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a wonderful, wonderful vision of Christ we've had this morning. Uh, the way we've uh, seen Christ exalted uh, and lifted up um, in the songs and in the scripture and in the uh, in the bread and the wine that we've had this morning, Lord, uh, what a wonderful, wonderful God uh, and Savior that we serve. Uh, Lord, I pray that as uh, as I bring this message this morning, Lord, that that uh, <clears throat> wonderful, uh, glorious display of Christ would continue, um, that your Spirit would uh, illumine our hearts, Lord, and that as we um, think on how we can become more like him, uh, Lord, that he would be uh, continue to be exalted um, and lifted up and high uh, in our view. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, Beck and I are currently renting. Uh, we, we have a little uh, unit um, in town here in Mafra. Uh, I say small, but it, it, it's, uh, it's definitely more than what we need at the moment, more than suits our purposes. Um, but of course, in the back of our minds, there's sort of always this awareness that we'll probably need a bigger house at some stage in the future. Um, and we've just shivered our way through a winter. The house is impossible to heat. Um, um, and so there's, there's all sorts of different things. Uh, renting in a temporary place like this, it sort of gets you thinking about what you want in your dream home. Uh, for us, we've, we're sort of looking at a, a lovely, nice little, cosy, older-style house. Um, three bedrooms and a study. Two living spaces, a bath, preferably a nice big one that I can fit in. <laughs> a wood fire, a garden, on and on the list goes. All these different things we would really love in our dream house. Um, and you guys probably all have different ideas of what your dream house would look like. Um, it probably looks different for, each, for everyone in this room. Um, but I'm sure you've all f- experienced that feeling of what you're living in now is just not exactly what you'd want it to be. Um, for us, for, for all of you, sorry, I'm sure there's um, stuff about your current place that you really wish was different. Um, And maybe even some of you are looking for a place thinking, in our next place we are definitely not going to put up with X, Y, Z. For us it's probably going to be the drafts that keep going through and cooling down the place. But life, on the other hand, is a lot more permanent than a house. You can't just pack up your life and take it and move somewhere else like you can with a house. I mean, you can move somewhere else, but you can't move into a different life. My life will always be me, Nathan, doing Nathan's life, doing Nathan-y stuff in a Nathan-y way wherever Nathan currently happens to be. I mean, so if my Nathan-y life is good, I should probably enjoy it for what it is, right? Or if it's bad, I should learn to endure it um, the way it is and, and enjoy whatever good does come my way. That's what my life always is uh, and always will be. <clears throat> I mean, that's what our culture teaches us to think. This life is all you've got. Uh, you will always be you, so just enjoy it as it is. Live, it, live in the moment um, and don't worry about changing anything. But in Philippians chapter 3, which is our passage this morning, Paul tells us that he doesn't actually think like that at all. He, in fact, Paul reckons that's possibly not even a very Christian way of thinking. 
Because his, the way, what he sees as the truth, what the Bible says is the truth, is that life is not actually permanent. Even though it seems morbid to think of life as temporary, Paul actually embraced that truth. Um, please open your Bibles then to Philippians chapter 3, um, and we're going to try and work out why that is. <clears throat> um, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be focusing on verses 12 to 14 this morning, um, but I'm going to read uh, from verse 8 just to give us a bit of an idea of, of where he's coming from. Um, so that's Philippians chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 8 of the, NI, of the ESV. <clears throat> Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, So like I said, we're going to focus on verses 12 to 14. And from those verses, uh, we're going to learn three truths about your life as a Christian. Um, These three truths shape the way Paul felt about his life. um, And hopefully they'll do the same for us. So, number one, point number one. Firstly, Paul knew that we don't experience full Christ-likeness yet. Uh, Let's look again at the first bits of verses 12 and 13. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Uh, Verse 13, he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So what's Paul talking about here? What's this and it? He's referring back to verse 11 there where he's talked about the resurrection from the dead. And that's what happens, that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's going to raise everyone to life um, and he's going to make every Christian person perfect so that we can live in God's presence forever. In other words, we're going to be like Jesus is now. We're going to be fully Christ-like. In other words, we'll be completely like Jesus Uh, But again, Paul is saying that he's not like that yet. He wants to really stress that. He's not perfect. He never was before he died. Um, And you have to understand that was actually quite a big disappointment for Paul. His whole aim in life was to be like Jesus. And he really hated knowing that he would never be fully like that here on earth. It was like he was living in a rental that was missing so many features of his dream home. Now, of course, Paul wasn't trying to be perfect so that he could be right with God. He knew that it was only by God's grace, by what Jesus has done for us, that he was saved. 
Um, but it was because of his knowledge of that, because he loved Jesus, because he had been saved by Jesus, that he wanted to be like him. But of course he never was. Not in, not in his life on earth anyway. Um, and the reason for that is that like every other human who ever lived, other than Jesus of course, Paul was shot to the core with sin. Our bodies are plagued by the most hateful, destructive, wicked sort of disease. It's called sin. Sin is the evil that hates God and everything that he stands for. Fights everything that is good. And in fact, we are so shot to the core with sin that even the core of who you are, your thoughts, your desires, your dreams and aspirations, what you might say makes you you, even that's corrupted by sin. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've got God's Spirit living in you as well. And that's a wonderful thing because that means that we're not completely sinful. God is remaking us to be more like Christ and to uh, have a dual nature going on within us. Um, but even then, until you, uh, until you are remade from the ground up, you will never be completely perfect. Now, thinking about that and thinking about the way Paul wanted to be perfect, it raises an important question for us. Do you wish you were perfect? Do you long to be like Jesus? Perhaps your sin uh, always comes out in a habit that you just can't shake. Uh, maybe all too often you find that you did it again. Your daily prayer is, God, I'm so sorry. I wish I could say I'd never do it again, but I know I'll probably be back tomorrow saying the same thing. I'm just so sick of this, God. Why can't I be rid of it? Do you want to be rid of your sin? All of it? For good? If not, let me uh, just try and uh, explain to you why you should want to be rid of it. Sin always hurts people. Every time you play around with sin, it's like picking up a bucket of acid, sulfuric acid, and throwing it all over the place. If you have a water fight with acid, it's no wonder if it's just going to eat through your skin. It's going to eat through the flesh of everyone around you, starting with you. Not only that, not only does sin hurt people, but sin will eventually be destroyed. Sinful people will be punished. God hates it when you defile the world he made with your sin, uh, when you defile the people he loves with your sin. And if God hates something, you can be sure that he is going to put an end to it. Bible says God is going to burn everything and start again for the good of everyone. So do you want to be destroyed by your sin? Do you want to be destroyed with your sin? Or would you rather be remade without your sin? Paul groaned, who will deliver me from this body of death? Others put it another way. Uh, let me paraphrase. How long, O oh Lord, they said, how long until we're done with all of this evil? If you agree with them, uh, then the good news is, uh, in point number two, that we will experience full Christ-likeness soon. 
Uh, you can almost hear the hopefulness in Paul's voice through uh, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's frustrations with this life could have made him depressed. But instead, because he knew what was coming, he was excited. Rather than focusing on how imperfect he was, Paul anticipated, he eagerly looked forward to the joy of full perfection. He was keen to move into his dream home uh, and and he knew it was almost ready. God knows that we need new bodies that, uh, that will be remade without sin. So he has prepared those sinless bodies for us. In fact, he's already got the prototype ready. He's already made the mold. He's made the prototype, and that is Jesus. And that's why it says at the end of the chapter that when, Christ, that when, uh, we, when Jesus comes back, he will transform our bodies to be like his heavenly body. Full Christ-likeness awaits. Our dream homes await. All we are waiting for is moving day. Soon we will leave these awful tiny units behind and move into that perfect, glorious mansion, into our dream homes that are exactly as they should be. Uh, Now I want you to understand that Paul's excitement was not actually bound up in what he knew heaven would be like but rather who he would be like there uh, knowing that he would be his excitement comes from knowing jesus knowing that he would be with jesus and like jesus the greatest thing about heaven is jesus i love this there's an old hymn that says uh, uh what is it uh, the, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but at his nail-pierced hands, the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. The greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. The greatest thing about being in heaven is that you will be like Jesus. Do you want to know what you're going to be like for all eternity? Do you want to know what, what, you, what you're actually going to live like when you get to heaven? Well, then, if you want to know that, look at Jesus. Look, compare your life as it is to the perfect risen Son of God. and In the Bible, you will see how much greater He is than you. And in knowing, in seeing that, Praise God that you will be conformed to the image of his son. That's what the Bible says, that we will be made like Jesus. God has chosen us to be made like Jesus. See, in Jesus, in Christ, the best is yet to come. Now, you might ask, how can we be sure of that? If God just decided not to, that would be no skin off his nose, right? That would hardly make any difference to him, surely. Well, look there in verse 12. Paul says that Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why has Jesus made us his own? He must have done it for a good reason, right? At the start of the year, I, uh, I bought a mower that was broken. I knew, it was, I knew it was broken. I knew it wasn't working. 
And Beck uh, very graciously uh, allowed me to because I assured her that I was going to fix it. I didn't. (laughs) It was a waste of a $30, that one. But when Jesus bought us with his blood, he's going to make absolutely sure that he's going to get his money's worth out of us. A life is an awfully great thing to waste. $30 on a mower, that's, that's a bit annoying. But if Jesus shed his blood and then tossed us out, what an awful waste of his life. God is not going to do that. Jesus buying us what we call redemption, what the Bible calls redemption, that is a sure sign that he is going to finish us. It is a sure sign that the best is yet to come. Perhaps there's some of you here who are looking for hope. You know that this life doesn't offer full joy, lasting peace, lasting hope. And you want that hope that I've just described, that future of eternal joy and perfection. If you're here wanting that I want to assure you that God offers you that hope. Jesus offers you all of this for free. He stands ready to welcome you and give you eternal life if you will just believe it. So believe it. Believe and join me and Paul and all of these Christians here this morning uh, in looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back. Perhaps you're here this morning... Um, and you, <clears throat> uh, you know that hope, but you just find it hard to remember. I really know that feeling. It's, it's often hard to remember that our eternity is coming. Our eternal hope is just so often way out of our collective consciousness. And, and probably for some of you here, like me, it's a long way off. <clears throat> or it seems that way anyway. Might not be, but... Probably, for me, it looks a long way off. Um, And so in our day-to-day lives, it's kind of hard to get a bit excited about it. It's not something that we can see and and put our hands on and and be really um, excited about knowing that that's going to be there. Uh, So how can we get excited about it? It's, uh, It's kind of annoying that a lot of the true stuff that is about when Jesus comes back isn't really all that exciting. It's kind of more dry, textbooky sort of stuff. And this stuff that is exciting is kind of generally exciting for all the wrong reasons. Um, so how do we get excited about seeing Jesus and being with Jesus uh, and being like Jesus? There are some uh, good books and good music out there. Uh, one of the, We often sing here at church is... Uh, Of course, we belong to the day. What a wonderful uh, truth that is. Um, And uh, in Christ alone that we've just sung as well. What a glorious, glorious hymn about about Christ. Uh, But most importantly, the Bible says we need to be reminding one another. First Thessalonians 4 um, says, encourage one another with these words. If, if your brother is going through, uh, if your brother or sister is going through a struggle in life, uh, obviously it's, um, <clears throat> you have to be situation appropriate, but 
um, what a wonderful thing that we'll be like Jesus and that we won't have to worry about this pain ever again. Isn't it great that Jesus is going to fix that that you're going through? Isn't it great that he's coming soon to put an end to it? Or if your brother or sister is going through a wonderful, wonderful, great time, uh, what a wonderful thing this is. And isn't it even more awesome that it's going to be even greater when Jesus comes back? How wonderful it is that in Christ the best is yet to come. Uh, so we've looked at, at two points. Paul is fed up with sin uh, and he's looking forward to being like Jesus. Perfect, undying, glorious. Now if Paul's hope is that bound up in the future, no wonder he tries to live there. Uh, what, <clears throat> uh, if he's going to be so joyous to find, fully experience Christ's likeness, then naturally here's point number three for those of you who are following along. We should try to experience full Christ-likeness now. Now let's read these verses again. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, in light of the confident hope uh, that salvation has brought for Paul, in light, inspired by such a great expectation of the future, Paul did everything in his power to make it his reality right then, right now. He was looking forward to his dream home. It was so much better than what he's already living in. But because he can't get there now, he's setting up his house. He's moving the furniture so that it would be as close to what he wants from that dream home as he can possibly get it. Of course, it's not going to be the same. The walls are in the wrong spot. And if he's in a rental like, like Beck and I are, he can't move those walls at all, of course. And so you might call it an exercise in futility, but Paul calls it the fruit of joyful anticipation. How does he do that? How does Paul live in the future? How does, he, how does this hope shape his life? Well, he gives two ways in verse 13 there, that he, uh, two steps that he puts in place to do that. Firstly, he forgets what lies behind. Now, that means he's leaving behind everything that characterized his life before Jesus. Uh, Earlier in the chapter, he gave a list of everything that he thought was great about himself before he met Jesus. He was circumcised, he had Jewish heritage, uh, he had a wonderful lineage, he was obedient to the law, zealous for Judaism, all these wonderful Jewish things. <clears throat> but according to verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Perhaps your Christian life is entirely defined by something that happened a year ago, 
five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago, whatever it was. Uh, but maybe it's entirely defined by that time you prayed a prayer. Or when you got baptized, uh, or when you shared the gospel with a bunch of people, or when you overcame that big addictive sin in your life, and you figured that since that's happened, God must be okay with you uh, because of what you did then. You can relax, coast, go to church, pray and read the Bible every now and then. You're pretty much set for life. Or perhaps you need to forget what lies behind. Recognize that it's worse than useless in terms of getting to be right with God. Only Christ can make you right with God. So long for the day, look forward to that day when you will be made like him. Perhaps, on the other hand, um, you need to forget the joys of this world. It's easy for us to think that the the things of this earth will not last. We might even be disappointed when we remember that they won't. Perhaps uh, you have a memory, you have a, a mentality of, God, I'm really excited for Jesus to return, but can you just hold off on that until X, Y, Z, until I get married, until I have kids, grandkids, until I enjoy retirement, whatever it is. Or perhaps you're, <clears throat> you're, you're, you know it's going to be pretty good when Jesus returns, but gee, it was great when you got married or you had kids or whatever it is that you fill in that blank. Of course, there's nothing wrong with looking forward to those things or remembering those wonderful memories. What a glorious thing that God gives these things to us. But if we're conflating earthly things to be better than the day Jesus returns, if we're more excited about seeing something here on earth than seeing Jesus, we need to forget what lies behind. Put your hope in eternity. Put your joy in the, in the uh, joys of eternity. Store up your treasures in heaven. Turn and trust Jesus because he will take you there. Perhaps uh, you're here this morning, on the other hand, and what lies behind is, is really not a good thing, uh, but a horrible, horrible thing that's happened. Uh, your, your terrible sin, perhaps, or the sin that someone's done for you, done to you. Uh, you know from bitter experience that, some, that sin hurts people because someone's sin hurts you or, or you've irreparably hurt someone else. If that's you, then uh, listen to this wonderful promise that God, listen to God say what he's going to do when he comes. He says, God will wipe every tear from your eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. The Bible says that the coming glory is so much greater than any pain or suffering in this life. That it's not even worth bothering to compare them. You can forget the pain that lies behind by letting it fade to nothingness next to the great joy that is coming. Back in verse 13. <clears throat> the second part of living in the future then is training forward to what lies ahead. 
Uh, for all the reasons I've said before, his dissatisfaction with his imperfections, his knowledge that the best is yet to come, Paul didn't live in the moment. His, uh, he, as the, the way the, it's described in our culture today, he wasn't a mindful person. <clears throat> Paul's life was characterized by his desire, his constant effort to be more Christ-like, to be like what he was going to be after Christ returns. He strained forward to what lies ahead. He pressed on, or, or more literally, he chased after it to make it his own. Uh, you know when, the, when you're working outside on a really hot day, the sun is beating down on you, and you've just got to try and find any tiny bit of shade that you can. <clears throat> And especially if that's a windy day, the, hat, the wind takes your hat off and you have to just sprint after it to get that tiny little barrier between the sun and your face. He's, Paul, that's sort of what Paul's got going on here. Any bit of Christ-likeness he can get, he's going to run after it as hard as he can. He's going to live like he will after Christ comes back. He said in Ephesians 4, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, stop living the way you used to live. Live the way you're going to live when Jesus comes back. Try to experience full Christ likeness now. Um, perhaps it's it's quite reasonable to ask why we should try. <clears throat> it's impossible to be perfect. We've already established that. And it's guaranteed to be perfect when Jesus comes back. We've established that too. So why would we bother putting in all that effort now? now we'll look at the end of verse 14. Paul says, Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, the goal, as I've been describing, is... Uh, is the end of the Christian life when Jesus returns. <clears throat> um, and when you reach that goal, if you press on to the end, you will receive the prize, the prize of the upward call of God. All that perfection, all that Christ-likeness, all the joy of seeing Jesus and being with him for all eternity, that's a, a wonderful, wonderful prize. So keep stretching forward. Aim to win that prize uh, or to put it another way uh, you know when you take a train from sale to melbourne and how you, your paper ticket can get you anywhere around melbourne you like you can get on any metro train and go wherever you like it won't use up the ticket it won't disqualify it that ticket is valid for you to get anywhere around melbourne it's quite handy <clears throat> but if melbourne is your goal there's no point in getting off with your v-line ticket at dandenong and then using that V-Line ticket to get on a train that goes back out to Pakenham. You, there's no point in getting on a train that's going away from your destination. So if you'll forgive the cliche, Jesus is your ticket to heaven. He's a ticket to perfection. And if you, you, if you use him as a license to do anything, it won't use up or disqualify that ticket, technically. Now, I'm not saying that's a good way to view Jesus. I'm saying, let's just follow this logic out and see where it leads us. <clears throat> if heaven, if perfection is your goal, if that's your prize, 
Don't use your ticket to go in the wrong direction. Press on, strain forward, live in the future, because in Christ the best is yet to come. Well, in closing, isn't, going to be, isn't it going to be amazing to see Jesus? What a glorious, glorious thing it will be to see Jesus in the flesh and be able to keep seeing him, to be able to keep being with him forever without end. Aren't you keen for that moving day? For your dream home to be your true home? <laughs> Absolutely. If by God's grace it's going to be so wonderful in the future, how awesome would it be if it was like that now? It won't be exactly, but there's no reason not to try, given how wonderful the alternative is. So don't be like this world, wishing it could be happy that life is only what it is now. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus Let's make it our goal to be like him and our wonderful hope that we will be like him. And in so doing, let's live in the future because in Christ, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, wonderful hope that you have prepared for us. Um, In the, the resurrection of Christ, Lord, we see your power to save and to make us perfect Uh, and to raise from the dead uh, those whom you have called to be like Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us to be conformed to the image of Christ, that you have called us to be Christ-like. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us the power to do that, Uh, not completely in this life, but Lord, that you uh, have given us the power that we can try and be, come ever closer to that joy, that, that hope of being like Jesus by the power of your spirit. Um, so, Lord, we pray that as we look forward um, to that day when Christ returns, as we look up to see our wonderful king and brother and friend, that we would continue to press on towards that day, that we would strain forward, that we would try and reach upwards to be like Christ in the here and now. In Christ's name, amen.